0: Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome into a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride, and I have a very special guest today. I have Bobby Corolla. Is that that's how you pronounce your name, correct? Uh
1: yeah, close enough it's Corella. Corella, perfect. And I like, kinda like Corella Deville, but just less uh, less
0: <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, you do digital content for the Dallas Mavericks. You also contribute to Mavericks.com, correct?
1: Yes, sir. Mavs.com and also uh, host the uh, Numbers on the Board podcast with my buddy Skin Wade, who does the broadcast
0: too. Do you have anything else you want to plug before we even get into this? Because I'm excited to have you on. You're as in-depth and in-tune with this team as it really gets. So if you want to plug anything, definitely plug away.
1: Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Just the podcast. You know, follow me on Twitter. Uh, my last name is K-A-R-A-L-L-A. You know, my Twitter username is Bobby Carrello. Um you, know, you followed me for a while. I just started following you yesterday after this news. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk with a fellow Hoops nerd.
0: Absolutely. Know it's that. hard to find enough Hoops nerds nowadays, it feels like. That's why Twitter is just such a fun place sometimes. The NBA Twitter is unlike anything else.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's
0: awesome. But a trade did happen yesterday between the Dallas Mavericks, the New York Knicks, and the Denver Nuggets, netting the Denver Nuggets' Devin Harris. Emmanuel Moutier is on his way to the Knicks, and Doug McDermott is heading his way to Dallas. Before we even get into this, just give me your take of just what you thought of this trade and how you think it works out for both sides in terms of the Nuggets and the Mavericks. Well,
1: for the Nuggets, uh, I mean, just... Kind of, I saw an article that you wrote today about uh, Harris kind of on-off splits with the Mavs, as it relates to Moutier's on-off splits with the Nuggets. Uh, so, just like from a math analytical perspective, I think the Nuggets made a pretty big upgrade there, going from Moutier to Harris. Um, Moody is obviously a young guy and you know can improve a lot, and hopefully will with the Knicks. But uh, Harris is just a veteran guy, established in this league, um, has a ton of experience. Uh, and I think, you know, on the floor it's a good fit because he can do a lot of the things that Jamal Murray does. Um, I mean, he might not be as, like, dynamic a scorer as Murray is, but he's really good at moving off the ball, really good at playing off screens. And obviously with Jokic up there, that's a big thing that the Nuggets like to do. Um, he can shoot the ball, spread the floor. And off the floor, uh, I think he's a great fit for Murray. Uh, you know, Harris has kind of been like this wily vet with the Mavs in his second tour of duty here. But the first time he was here, uh, they drafted him in 2004, and he was thrust into the starting point guard position uh, the year after the Mavericks let Stephen Ash go to Phoenix. So Harris had huge shoes to fill, um, taking over for a future Hall of Famer. You know, playing alongside Dirk at the peak of his powers when the Mavs had uh, title aspirations. And in Harris's second year here, uh, he was the starter too, and they ended up going to the finals. Um, and we don't need to talk about what happened in the finals, but they were there. I promise they were there.
0: <laughs> that was 2006, um, so, correct?
1: Yeah, 2006, yeah, against the Heat. So that was Harris's second season. Um, and then his kind of like breakthrough moment, I guess, was in the second round. Uh, they played the Spurs, and he matched Tony Parker below, for below. He was He was great in that series. Um, so I think just from that kind of perspective, uh, Harris having started so early in his career for a team uh, that you know, it was higher in the standings than the Nuggets are now, but certainly the Nuggets have playoff aspirations and, um, you know, hope to be kind of a mainstay in the Western Conference for a while. Uh, I think that that will help Harris kind of communicate and relate to Murray, who is super awesome, man. He's gotten so much better this season. It was incredible watching him play these last couple of times that the Mavs played the Nuggets. But uh, so I think from an off-the-floor perspective, Uh, Harris will really be able to help Murray along and then on the floor too I mean he's I think he's like a perfect fit he's pretty much an older version of Murray I think
0: And we'll definitely get into the fit what I want to ask though is if I remember correctly there weren't necessarily character issues with him but he had some growing up to do when they were making that finals run if if I remember correctly is that what you remember
1: yeah you know I mean I'm, I'm a pretty young guy I'm only 26 so I wasn't like around I wasn't in the locker room or anything back then um but yeah, I mean, he was a young guy. I think he only played maybe two years in college, or maybe three. Um, but he was he was a young guy playing for the Mavs at a time in his in his first season. Uh, that was when Nelly was still coaching, and then like in mid March, uh, Nelly just kind of abruptly retired and handed the reins to Avery Johnson, uh, who was a super intense coach. Very you know had had very high demands on everybody, especially Harris, his point guard. Uh, And, you know, Avery was giving him some pretty tough coaching, trying to develop him into a star, and eventually he did make the All-Star team with the Nets. But, um, you know, I think that it was kind of reportedly sort of a rocky relationship uh, between Devin and Avery, um, but that was kind of the way that he coached. Uh, He had sort of a tough love attitude with all those guys, um, super intense, super demanding, and it... I mean, it ultimately made the Mavs better. You know, they won 60 games and went to the finals, and then the next year won 67, and they got upset, of course, by Nelly, which was kind of a an interesting twist of fate. But, um, yeah, I mean, Harris at the time was 21-22, you know, trying to lead a team of, at the time, you know, Dirk, who was one of the three or four best players in the NBA, and um, a bunch of veterans. I mean, Jerry Stackhouse, Jason Terry, guys who have been around for, like, you know, 10-plus years. And, uh, this 21, 22 year old kid is coming in trying to lead them. So it was kind of an interesting dynamic. And, uh, eventually they traded him along with a couple other guys and a couple picks for Jason Kidd, and ended up winning the championship. And Harris had a couple of years in New Jersey where, you know, the team wasn't very good, but his career really took off. So, uh, kind of worked out for him, I guess. And then he came back here and, and has been uh, really a model vet ever since. So I think as he aged, as he kind of gained more experience, um, he really figured things out and dude you cannot find a single person in the organization who would say one bad thing about him now he is like the model teammate the model player really 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 good dude
0: oh I've Um, I've done some digging and kind of hit some people up and that's all that I can hear is just how great of a person he is how much he can connect with you how approachable he is and it's a perfect segue into why I'm excited about this deal is that he is a young guy who had to figure it out on the fly and mature very quickly which is what so much of this Nuggets roster has to do so that leadership that teammate mentality of being a guy that anybody can go to how much of that have you seen really get pushed off to a Dennis Jr. to a Yogi Farrell to guys like that. Well, Dennis is
1: like Devin harris's number one fan. Uh he told a story last night. I wasn't at the game. They were in Oakland last night. Um, I wasn't on this road trip, but he told a story after the game whenever he was in fourth grade, so this must be I don't know, I guess ten years ago. So Harris was, you know, pretty good at that point. He was, you know, kind of an all star player at that at that point. Um he had a slam magazine, just pulled one out in the school library and there was a poster of Devin Harris. So he ripped it out and hung it on his wall. And he said, just like even getting to play with him at this stage in his career is like a dream come true. Um, But I mean, we'll say, you know, there's, there's a lot of bets on this, on this Mavs team, Wesley Matthews, namely uh, Dirk, obviously. And then JJ Barea is kind of another guy who's, who's been through it all. But Devin has always had the best relationship with Dennis. Um, I think because, in large part because Harris went through a lot of the same things that Dennis is now, you know, coming into a team that is used to playing veterans and then just kind of being this young kid thrust into the starting wheel. Um, So they really, really, really got along quickly right away. And um, so that's kind of a tough blow for for Dennis, just individually kind of, you know, being able to rely on this guy so much, and then suddenly he's – uh, on a new team, but I mean, if if Devin has anywhere near the same kind of relationship with Murray as he did with Dennis, then you're going to see Murray improve a lot in a very short period of time. I mean, Devin is always in Dennis's ear, you know, in games, in practice, shoot around, just always giving him pointers. What this guy likes to do, what this coach likes to do, you know, what to do if the defender is looking this way or leaning this way. Like, just he's always giving tips, life advice, hoops advice. I mean, it's you you could not ask for a better a uh, better mentor
0: I can't wait for that part specifically because Jamal Murray is so coachable. He's a guy who really wants to take in as much information as humanly possible, it seems like. So having a guy like Devin Harris who will be in his ear because Devin Harris wants to be is something that I cannot wait to see because the progression of of Jamal Murray, like you said, has already been insane. But Devin Harris could be one of those guys that really puts him over the edge. And I know the coaching staff, I haven't had a chance to talk to him immediately, but they're already making comments about how excited they are just for the culture ability to bring in a guy like Devin Harris that really kind of makes everybody feel comfortable but at the same time continues to push them. Is that kind of how you feel like an even keeled, but still we're go we're here to work, we're here to progress. Is that his kind of leadership mentality?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Devin actually gets along great with Dirk and both of them are kind of the same in that, you know, they're not gonna be the like the rah rah guys that are rallying the troops and giving these, you know, big dramatic speeches before the games or anything. I mean, they're they're not those guys. They're a little more laid back. They're kind of the, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle, the mass head coach, is, is super intense and he's going to, you know, yell at you every now and then. He's going to let you know what he thinks. And after you talk to him, then you go over to Devin and he's kind of, you know, he's kind of the guy that'll say, this is what he means. You know, this is what he meant whenever he was, whenever he was yelling at you, you know, it's kind of, you know, just he's, he's a little friendlier, um, a little more laid back, kind of just like a more welcoming, warm kind of presence. And, in the middle of a game, you know, especially like a playoff situation or you know a big game, um, I think that there's definitely value in having a guy who can who can be kind of that uh, welcoming big brother sort of sort of guy and less of the really intense in your face who's going to yell at you uh, kind of guy. I mean, everyone needs every team needs both. You know, you need the intense guy and then you need the kind of the the, 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 the ying to that yang.
0: And the Nuggets have that with Michael Malone. Michael Malone is very similar, that he is kind of a hothead. He's a guy who will get into your face. He's a guy that does demand you to put maximum effort out there and to play to the best of your ability. Being that Rick Carlisle and Devin Harris were so close, how do you think that union of Michael Malone and Devin Harris and being able to be that from the coach's ear to the player's ears and be that translator for guys, how is he in that role being that he has a hard-nosed coach like Carlisle that he's already been playing with for so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and not only having the experience of playing for Rick, but, I mean, also Avery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, he's just been in the NBA for so long. This is his 14th or 15th season. I mean, he's been around. So he's played for all sorts of coaches, you know, who are all different levels of insane. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, he can just relate with he can relate with everybody. You know, and, and I think the thing that is most uh, important, like his most important trait as it relates to getting on with coaches and players, is that at this stage of his career, he's 34, 35 years old. He is so okay with playing, like, 15 to 20 minutes a game. Like, he he really buys into his role and, like, just he understands the situation. You know, and, and, and the situation in Denver is much like in Dallas. You got this young stud point guard. You want him to play 30, 32 minutes a game. And Devin is okay with coming off the bench and saying, hey, I'll go out and get my 16 minutes, I'll put up my five or six shots, and, and I'm good, you know. And I think that is what helped him um, kind of establish himself as such a rock under Carlisle, is that you have this guy who's so bought into the system and to the team and, and the team's plans and kind of the everybody's different goals and all that stuff. So, you know, I think that, that it's not only his attitude, but it's just his his willingness to buy in and to accept his role. Um, And I think that a guy like Malone, who is very intense to some, you know, very much like Rick, I think he'll appreciate that, you know, having a guy who's not in it for himself, who doesn't need to get, you know, 15 shots a game, who can just come in, play his five or six minutes, and then sub out, go in the next quarter, you know, Um, I think that is, that is also extremely valuable, kind of need that hierarchy, you know, you need the vet that's okay with his kind of fading role. Um, just because, I mean, he, he gets it, you know, he
0: gets it. And that's so important because as much as Emmanuel Moutier has so much talent so left within him and so much growing still to do, he would really come in off that bench unit and he would play his style of basketball. It wasn't the Nugget style of basketball. And that was a big reason why he was such a negative with this team is that dribbling the air out of the ball, long double clutch, fadeaway twos and things like that. And you won't get any of that from Devin Harris. And I want to get more into his offensive game now because he's a guy, while he does get a little trigger happy from time to time from the film that I've watched he's mostly a mistake-free player it seems like and that is so important to this Nuggets team is that how you see his offensive game kind of being at this stage of his career
1: yeah well it's actually interesting um in Dallas I mean if if, if you don't watch him you think yeah he's a point guard but in Dallas he's mostly for these last three years ever since they brought J.J. Barea back he's have been playing off the ball yeah with all uh, these
0: three guard lineups they like to run correct
1: yeah yeah I mean point guard line—it's just yeah. insane i mean he's usually the the third tallest guy on the floor of the maps which is
0: that's insane wild. to me
1: but um yeah so him playing off the ball gives him kind of the ability to uh start getting his guy leaning one way and then he makes the catch and goes the other way uh so he's still super quick at this point in his career you know especially for like a 34 year old but he's obviously not as quick as he was when he was 24. But, of course you know he's picked up different tricks along the way to kind of uh use his body use his positioning use his savvy to to kind of fool guys um and that's allowed him to get to the basket basically at will with Denver i i don't know um whether he's going to be on the ball as much i mean i know he'll he'll probably spend a lot of time playing with barton right cuz barton yeah. kind of comes off the bench and yeah so if Barton's kind of the main ball handler and, and, and Harris is kind of working off him and working off Jokic and Plumlee screens and all that stuff, I think he can do a lot of the same things. And uh, one of the things that he's really good at, actually, is drawing fouls. Um, I think that's a lot of the time because he's being guarded by twos and threes. Uh, his free throw rate is almost 0. .4. So, like, he he takes wow. almost four free throws for every ten shots, basically.
0: That's incredible. Uh, I did not know really that.
1: High. Yeah, that's really, really high for a guard. I mean, he's uh, he's like third on the Mavs behind Dwight Powell, who's a center, and Solomon measure who's a center. I mean, guys that are getting fouled going up for dunks. And then there's Harris. And it's because he's getting to the basket all the time, you know, playing off these guys, uh, making cuts. I know that you've – I saw you comment about his cuts earlier. I mean, he is like a wizard cutting off the ball. is insane. So um, it's going to lead to some really pretty connections with Jokic. Uh, and this year – his average shot distance, this is from basketball reference, his average shot distance is 13 feet from the basket, which is the closest he's been since 2011 whenever he was 27 years old. Wow. So, I mean, he's really, really getting downhill a lot. And I think that's kind of his role on this team, too, is, you know, playing with that bench unit for the Mavs. It was Berea and Yogi Farrell, who are both, you know, sub six feet. Um, so they needed someone who could get in the paint and kind of take that punishment and bend the defense. And, and Harris filled that role. So with Denver, I mean, if you just drag and drop him playing next to Barton, or even if he's running point next to Gary Harris, who's gotten a lot better playing with the ball, or you can even put him out there with Murray and have them both kind of running around mazes of screens and just let Jokic work his magic. I mean, I think it's like a pretty seamless fit. So um, I would be surprised if he was on the ball too much, honestly, just because that's kind of not his game anymore. And I think that the more he is on the ball – generally the more jump shots he's gonna take. Okay. Whenever he's playing off the ball, that's whenever he's spotting up, he's a great spot up shooter and that's whenever he's cutting to the basket and drawing fouls and, and getting easy points that way.
0: I do see them playing a lot of Will Barton and him off the bench. And I think in that role, they're probably going to split point guard duties. But I do feel like he's a guy who can come up, initiate the beginning of an offense, and then go back to an off-ball role, which I think will be important for him. Because Will Barton can take the ball after running the seams in a mid-transition kind of opportunity and then be able to create something as the de facto quote-unquote point guard. So I think that they're going to see a lot of... Will Barton and Devin Harris, and I think that you're going to see a lot of three-guard lineups with a mixture of Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, and Devin Harris in that role because he is so good at playing with three-guard lineups and is so good off the ball. I cannot wait to watch him with Nikola Jokic because you pointed out on Twitter that the J.J. Barea, the backdoor cut to Devin Harris pass was just money for the Mavs all the time, and that look alone, seeing them play from the wings or the elbows and getting guy uh, asleep off the ball away from everything, is going to be just lethal with Nikola Jokic or for that fact, Mason Plumlee, who's very good at at distributing from the high post and being able to be that playmaker as a big on that bench unit. So for me, the cutting is really where I'm most excited for him. Is there any other kind of, I guess, set play that they like to run to get him cutting actions that you see similarities with the Nuggets or anything like that?
1: Uh, I mean a lot of it is is like you said, that backdoor cut with Berea and it was never really a set play, it was just kinda of they make eye contact and he would go. I mean, Devin would just turn on the jets from like thirty five feet away.
0: That's that like I telepathy think, like, they had, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, it's crazy. And uh it seems like they've been playing together for thirty years, but I think that if if they're playing a lot of three guard, like you say, you know, if the Nuggets put Devin in a lot of three guard lineups, um Switches are going to happen naturally, especially if he's out there with Jamal Marie, kind of their books just running around in circles. One of them is going to get switched onto a small forward, and, I mean, there, there are a lot of really athletic small forwards in this league, but they just can't keep up with Devin whenever he's got a clear pass to the basket. I mean, he, he really does have top-end speed, so anytime you can force a switch against a bigger player, whether he's a three or a four, uh, that's going to be a really advantageous matchup for him. Um, other set plays to get him moving um the Mavs run a lot of stuff it's called two side where Devin will start on the right side of the floor uh and then they they have their Dallas will have their two big men kind of in, in horns just at the elbow at opposite elbows and um uh, they'll set a cross screen for Devin so he'll go from the right wing to the left wing catch the ball and then uh come off the screen from one of the big men
0: Ooh, so I, li- I like basically, that basically you said what I I, say, I was just talking about, I, I like that. I'm picturing this in my head as you're explaining it, and the Nuggets run tons of horn sets because they do play two big men, being that it's either Paul Millsap or Mason Plumley in the lineup with Nikola Jokic. So those sets are going to be lethal with Denver as well, the same way it sounds like they were with Dallas.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and one thing that Rick Carlisle is really good at is understanding, especially, I mean, the bench unit runs a lot of different stuff than the starters. The bench unit here is Brea, Devin Harris, Dirk, I mean, so that's three guys who aren't super athletic. So you got to use uh, trickery and uh, all sorts of different stuff, you know, kind of like messing with the balance of the floor in order to get these guys going downhill. So whenever Harris can move from one side of the floor to the other, you get the defense leaning one way, and then you hit him with a quick pick and roll. And, you know, it leads to lobs or layups or fouls or spot-up shooters. I mean, so that, that's an example where Devin doesn't really need to run the offense in order to make the play. Um, and then he can also be the guy that delivers those passes and then goes and cuts, you know, pass cut away and uh, go spot up. I mean, he's, he's just really, he can kind of do whatever he wanted to do. And that's, I mean, super valuable, whether he's playing with the, the Nuggets starters where obviously you want Jokic on the ball as much as possible and Murray too, or the bench where there might be more of a kind of a playmaking onus uh, on, his, uh, on his shoulders.
0: It's interesting that you point out the lobs because that was one thing that I definitely took back when I was watching film of him was that he's very good at putting pinpoint lobs on the move to big men who are going up for that. Is that something that has been a part of his game and something that he uses regularly or is that just a highlight package kind of thing?
1: Uh, It's been pretty regular. So in 2014, this is the year before the Mavs got Rondo and kind of their whole roster complexion changed. In 2014, the Mavs bench unit was they're, they're benching it this year's like third best in the NBA in that rating, which is crazy because they have the worst record in the NBA. But that's the the Harris, farrell Barea three guard lineup. They're benching it in 2014, which was Harris's first season back in Dallas. Was Harris, Jay Crowder, Vince Carter, Dirk, and Brandon Wright. And Brandon Wright's been hurt a lot since then, unfortunately. But basically, that lineup for 82 games was like a Brandon dunk, a Brandon Wright dunk highlight reel. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, and Harris's throwing all those lobs. I mean, he was the only really ball handler uh, in that group. He's just really good at passing, just throwing it up. And I don't know. I mean, Jokic isn't really a big lob guy. Mason Plumlee can get up. So I think those two might be able to hook up a couple times. And when they play Uh,
0: small, you have guys like Will Barton and Wilson Chandler and Torrey Craig, where there is a lot of athleticism on the wings with this team. And they do like to run those kinds of backdoor lob sets and getting guys moving to the basket. So that's kind of where I see this culminating out for the Nuggets.
1: Okay, yeah, Yeah. I mean, Jokic is really good at a lot of things, but I don't think he's about to (laughs) go up and throw down a windmill or anything.
0: Michael Malone jokes that he can't jump over a newspaper, so I do not see him going (laughs) up and catching lobs from, from Devin Harris on the break or anything like that. Hey, but
1: he's got a mean turnaround baby hook,
0: okay? The best, the best baby hook. Like, his floater, when guys expect him to hit the rim, it's hysterical because guys just don't know how to defend him and, like, quickly have, like, a glitch moment. It's hysterical to watch, but... I'm w- one thing I want to ask you about that is really something that people have hit me on Twitter with is that he's not a good shooter, and I just don't agree with that. His numbers overall, he's a 32% three-point shooter over his career, 14 and a half seasons. However, you want to gauge that, but uh, he's a better shooter than his numbers tell. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, and th- it's really weird to say that because you know you say he's a better shooter than his numbers, and people can easily say, "Well, like, no, he's not. Obviously, his numbers are bad, so he's he's not." But Uh, and he's gotten better over the years. You know, his his rookie season, this is in 2004, uh, he shot 33%, which is awesome, but then he was in the 20s for four years in a row, and he's been in the 30s ever since. This year, he's shooting 35%. Um, And I think one of the reasons, this is going to sound really wacky, but it's just kind of one of those things where you you understand it if you watch the Mads all the time, is Harris is usually taking one or two two two-for-one threes.
0: I'm so uh, happy you're bringing this up.
1: Yeah, every game. I mean, like literally every game he's doing it once or twice. And basically what the Mavs will do is, you know, there's 38 seconds left or 32 seconds left, whatever, and they'll just send all four guys to the to the baseline and leave Harris one-on-one and just do a pull-up three because they figure it's really safe. We're not going to turn it over. He might or might not make it. If he does, great. If not, at least we get another possession. Um and he misses a lot of those. I mean, it's off the dribble threes are really tough to make whether you're like Devin Harris or you're Steph Perry. So, you know, whenever you build in kind of like 20 to 25 extra misses and you're only taking 153s in the season, like your numbers are going to look worse than they are, but catch and shoot, he's shooting over 42% this year, which is like, that's, that's pretty salty. So, um, I mean, if if he gets his feet set and he's wide open and he's making the catch, he can can fire away, and that's where playing alongside, you know, Murray or Barton or other guys who can kind of make those plays and then find him, that's where that's going to best suit him. And, I I mean, also his ability to attack those guys off the dribble makes it difficult to close out on him because you don't want him to get past you. And his reputation might be that he's not that good of a shooter, so, you know, you're not going to give everything you have into closing out on him to keep him from shooting the three because you know he's going to lay it in if you do. So it's kind of one of those, like, he can really take advantage of getting his feet set because no one thinks he's going to shoot, but, like, he's really, really awesome at shooting. It's just his percentages really just don't line up with the product. That's one of those things where the eye test is better than the math. If, if, you, if you follow.
0: No, I absolutely do. I, it drives me insane when people are eye-test versus analytics. If you don't use both, you're just missing out on a lot of different things. So We'll never yeah, have sure. an argument when it comes to that, but my question now is how effective were those two-for-one opportunities? Because, yes, it, it does make sense while it skews his numbers, but has it culminated into what you think is a positive effect for the Mavericks team with him just having this endless green light for two-for-ones? Because everyone that I've talked to, it's almost like a running joke with him. Like Everybody expects this two-for- one from him that covers the Mavericks at this point do you think it's been a yeah, productive I mean, thing for them
1: it's been a running joke for a while uh I mean you know whatever basically Rick Carlisle is like the most turnover of his coach maybe of all time yeah I mean he talks about the value of an offensive possession as like it's the most sacred thing there is and you don't want to throw away a possession because you're you know getting careless with the ball and turnovers at the end of quarters, he views those as even worse because then you're losing momentum and you're, you're closing out the quarter poorly and all this stuff that you know mathematically may or may not exist. But, so he's willing to say, "Hey, you know what? If I send all four guys down low, no ball screen, no nothing and just say, pull up for three, that's, that beats trying to run a set, uh, failing to get a shot, and then you don't get that extra possession. So you know even if sometimes he, he pulls up the three like comically fast, uh i mean it's it is what it is you know it's just whenever he makes it it's awesome and no one complains but sometimes he misses and it's just you know he doesn't mind taking the bullet i mean how many times do you see guys get a rebound with two seconds left and they dribble <laughs> out the clock
0: yeah or you just know, pass like, it to the closest dude next to him and have them take the last shot
1: yeah exactly and De- meanwhile devin is probably like heaved like 20 times this season <laughs> i mean he just he doesn't care you know like He's just so past. He's like evolved to the next plane beyond individual stats.
0: That's uh, perfect like for this Nuggets team. Nirvana level. Nirvana level of unselfishness. That's po- that might be yeah, the title of like, this podcast. That's a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's just gonna, you know, he'll he'll take your 50 footer. He doesn't care. I mean, what does he have to lose? You know, it's not like he's playing for his next contract at this point. You
0: know. Yeah, I mean, he he will be a guy that likely, and this is something I want to talk to you about anyway, is that he loves Dallas, and he has said vocally already after he was interviewed, which I was amazed that he was even on the court when this when this trade happened. I had assumed that someone would have pulled him off first, but he got interviewed the second he got traded, and he said that he's not going to close a door on coming back to the Mavericks, and it seemed like Donnie Nelson, from the stuff that you were putting out on Twitter, wants to have him back.
1: Yeah, I mean, Donnie Nelson had tears in his eyes yesterday Man. when he was talking about this trade. I mean, he, Devin Harris is, like, revered in Dallas. I I'm not one to, like, speak on behalf of Mark Cuban or anything, but, like, I think that he could maybe get his number retired. Like, that is how much they love him here. He's just, wow. he is like, he, he, is, he is truly beloved. So, I mean, I definitely think they hope he comes back. Um, I think they expect him to come back. Personally, I think he will come back. Whether that's next season or five years from now, I I don't know. I mean, maybe he goes to Denver and loves it. fits in, and they win the series, and he's thinking, great, you know, if I come back next year, another year of Jokic, another year of, uh, Jamal Murray getting better you know maybe some brazen and stuff they get Millsat back like suddenly maybe he could say okay you know I'm gonna spend another year here I'm gonna spend another two years here whatever so I mean you can never say never but yeah I definitely think at some point whether it's in July or whether it's like five July from now I, I think he'll eventually come back here
0: how much is that like, so you've covered the maths for a little while now how, how long have you been covering them
1: uh, the first season was 13 14. Okay. So, so yeah, you've got,
0: man, you've gotten a few years in. How many players have you seen come and go? Obviously, Dirk Nowitzki being the outlier here, but guys who have been this beloved by Dallas. And I'm talking media. I'm talking fans. I'm talking front office. I'm talking coaching staff. How many guys really have that kind of impact that he's been able to have?
1: Man, I don't know. I, not many. I mean, yesterday, it was like, it was almost like a funeral yesterday. It was, people were so shocked and. This is, you know, Mavs employees, like, on the business side. I, I work for the team, obviously, so I'm at the team office, but not, like, the GM side. That's not me. Yeah. Um, fans, media, I mean, it was, like, it was really, really uh, kind of a, a morose day yesterday. Um, Devin, Barea, um Berea obviously has kind of the advantage because he was on that title team in yeah. 2011. Uh, Devin wasn't. But, I mean, in the, in the non-Dirk division, Guys who have come here and left, who have been, like, just utterly revered by everybody. Uh, Devin, JJ, Tyson Chandler, uh, obviously he was on that title team, too. Vince Carter, who was only here for, like, three or four years, but would probably be in Rick Carlisle's, like, all-time starting five of favorite players. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very small group. So it's a very small group. That's that a prestigious
0: know. group to be a part of. It really is, and I'm sure Sean Marion is somewhere involved in that conversation oh, yeah, as well. Too. Uh, yeah, but sure. just to even be like mentioned in the same category as those guys in terms of just being beloved by an organization and by a city, that means something. And the reason I bring this up, I don't want to hammer the fact that he was so sad leaving. It really shows how much he has had an impact, regardless of his 9-2-2 two, two he puts up. His impact goes so much further than that. And I feel like hearing all these things about how the front office and how coaches and players have kind of taken this to heart, and it's been, like you said, almost felt like a funeral, really speaks to the player and the person that he is. And I thought like that's important for people to understand about a guy like Devin Harris.
1: Yeah, I mean, yesterday Dennis Smith Jr. said that Devin being traded was his welcome to the NBA moment. Oh, like, wow yeah and this is a guy who's been like S talked by Draymond Green and you know has been like blocked at the rim by Anthony Davis and all these things but like it it's just really it's really really hard to explain how a guy who like you said averages like 8 points and 2 rebounds could be like could reach this almost mythical status but it's just a day to day it's just the way he carries himself day-to-day at practice, shoot-around, games. You know what he's going to give you every single day. Um, and from, like, from the organization side of things, so, like away from the floor, he is the guy that goes to like every hoop camp that they do in the community in the summer. Like with 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds, he goes to like 15 of them and gives you know, speeches and answers questions and all this stuff. And he goes every Thanksgiving he does this thing they call it's a it's a turkey giveaway basically. They partner with a, a local store here and give something like two hundred and fifty turkeys to families in need and then they provide all the sides and all the, you know, extra stuff. He just goes to a warehouse, stands in the middle of the parking lot, and cars drive up to him and he just puts all the food in their cars. I mean
0: That's amazing. He is
1: he is like the model human being. And uh His brother passed away earlier this season, actually, on opening night, right after the opening night game. And that was, like, a really devastating situation for him and for the team, obviously. And uh, it just kind of rallied everybody around him even more. Um, So whenever you have not only, like, a good player, a good person who's, you know, kind of bought into his role and everything, but who also is, like, a, a genuinely decent human being and goes through... Kind of personal tragedy like that it really just you, you develop such a strong emotional connection to that guy and um i mean players on other teams too the Mavs have a lot of like wild guys uh <laughs> solid is chief among them yes uh guys who just like kind of stir the pot a little bit even when opposing teams are like upset with the mavs they're never mad at Devin harris like he he's just so well liked by everybody um really really hard to explain really rare to find two in a player so Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets are getting like a a pretty good basketball player, but a really good guy.
0: And I think that's almost more important to them because the big part of their culture shift was that we're going to bring guys in who like to work, who are good people, who are not going to be dysfunctional. When Paul Millsap had his uh, meeting with Michael Malone before signing with him, Michael Malone asked Paul what he wanted out of the conversation. He was like functionality or a lack of dysfunction and bringing in a guy like Devin Harris is exactly that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and especially, I mean, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are, like, two of my favorite players in the NBA. I mean, I love Gary Harris. I love Gary, too. I'm on the same page. I mean, they're the future of the team, and Jokic, too, obviously, is a god. So, you have three really young guys who, if you can make it work out with them, you're going to be good for 10 years, you know, or more. And the Nuggets will be winning 50 games all the time. They're going to win 35 games at home, just like they used to. I mean, they have the chance to be really, really special. So... From the organization's perspective, i see, like, yeah, I, I think they're going to try and make as many of these moves as possible now. I mean, you you have your core. You have your three guys plus Millsap, hopefully, who you know, comes back at some point and is really good and can kind of be that um, older guy who's still really productive and can play 30 minutes a game until those guys are ready to really take over. Um, I mean, Devin is, like, the perfect guy, along with Richard Jefferson, who yep. came out with a really funny quote about him earlier today. I was
0: I dying that. reading that from Harrison Wind at to BSN yeah. today.
1: That's but, hilarious. And what's funny, too, is he. whenever he signed at the Mavs, uh, he did a sit-down interview with me on media day, and he basically said the same exact thing about Tim Duncan, too, just going on about how boring he is and how nerdy he is. <laughs> and but yeah, he he really he pulls no punches. He's a funny dude. But, yeah, I mean, you want to surround those guys, those, like, mega prospects, with as many good players as possible, many good people as possible. Absolutely. And uh, Devin definitely fits that mold.
0: So before I get you out of here, I have one last thing to ask, and this was actually a surprise of mine. When I was watching through film and kind of talking to other guys on Twitter about Devin Harris, the one thing that surprised me is that, from what I've gathered, he is a plus defender. He's not even average. He's slightly above average at the point of attack. Is that how you've seen him?
1: Yeah, and what's really been impressive about him is because he's played so much multi-guard and three-guard lineups, he's defending... Kevin Durant, I mean, like, he guards guys that are much taller than him, much stronger than him. Uh, Devin is probably 6'3", maybe 200 pounds. I don't know. But he is really, really well built, really uses his body well in the post. Nobody's bullying him. I mean, you might be able to get a rebound over him, obviously, because that's, at that yeah. point it's just a height contest. But he doesn't give anything up, and he draws a ton of charges. Some of them he may be exaggerating a little <laughs> bit. But hey, that's he's a vet. That's you know, what he's supposed to do. Support. Yeah. He just he's a really, really good defender, understands positioning, awareness. He never gets beat on backdoor cuts, which he murders everybody with. I mean he, he doesn't make any mistakes, just like you were saying earlier. He's a mistake free player. He's never gonna do anything that's gonna make you pull your hair out. He plays the game the right way, really understands it, and at this point in his career is still athletic enough to keep up with his mind, which is something that's really valuable. Um you know his body hasn't betrayed him yet. Obviously, he's dealt with injuries, and under under Carlisle and under the Mavs' training staff, he's been playing on a very, very tight minutes restriction. Um, they hate putting him over twenty minutes a game, for example. But you know, for those twenty minutes, he is going to fly all over the place. He's going to get fouled a ton. He's going to look to take charges, sacrifice his body again. That's playing into the kind of the team thing. He's he's willing to take the beating if it means you know making a play. Um, and he can guard point guards, twos, threes. I mean, he is just—he's kind of a defensive uh, jack of all trades, like in a good way. And um, I mean, playing alongside kind of longer guys in Denver, especially guys like Harris, who can—Gary Harris, I mean—who can guard ones and twos. It gives you a little more switchability, which obviously is going to matter a whole lot in playoff times, especially if they ever get matched up against like Golden State, for example.
0: And I think it's going to be a big deal because Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are not super long or huge guards in their own sense, so they need to learn that positional defense of how just to stymie guys in the post just by being savvy and picking up on those traits that you only pick up from playing in the league for 13, 14 years. So I think that would be a big point for them.
1: Yeah, I don't don't think you want Jamal Murray taking too many charges.
0: (laughs) Jamal Murray will, though. He's tenacious. I'm sorry, what would you yeah. say?
1: Oh, yeah, I was saying just all the other stuff for sure. I mean, just positioning. I mean, simple stuff like how to play in a stance, how to move your feet, how to defend with your, with your feet and not with your hands. I mean, and he's, he's really good, too, at playing with his hands. I mean, he, he has very quick hands in passing lanes. He steals the ball. He's got extremely strong uh, kind of swiping techniques, I guess. I don't know. I mean, big guys catch the ball on rolls. Harris will tag down and he'll swipe them clean. It's, it's unbelievable how, how strong he is for, uh, given his size relative to these behemoths down there that he's banging with.
0: I gotta so we, say I mean, he
1: creates a ton of turnovers.
0: I cannot wait. Like this conversation I was already high on this on this uh this trade acquisition. I was very excited about it. I'm even more excited the more that I've had this conversation with you. I think this there is not a more perfect guy to fit his role other than Devin Harris for this Nuggets team right now. I am absolutely appalled by how great this trade could end up being for Denver.
1: Hey, I achieved my job, man. Job well done <laughs> by me, man. But I mean but seriously, he is he is the ultimate like Home 16 minutes comes in shoots three for six hits a three gets a steal draws a charge you know if you're if you're not watching the game you're gonna look at the box score and be like eh whatever and then you see how is he plus 12 in 15 minutes like he just does so many winning things it's he really is so good he's definitely gonna be missed in Dallas. And, I mean, selfishly, no offense, but I hope that I get to watch him on a nightly basis here again soon. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, you guys in Denver are just going to love him.
0: I can't wait. Before we get you out of here, just give me a grade for Denver's acquisition of Devin Harris, considering what they gave up.
1: I mean, I think they're going to be able to incorporate him very quickly. Um, I think in five years, if Moutier becomes a stud, then there might be a little bit of regret, but I personally don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, me neither. Um, I think they didn't give up a lot to get him, and I think that he can be a huge help, even if he's only there for two months. So, I mean, letter grade, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on, on how things shake out ultimately, but, like, B-plus at worst. I mean, he's a, he's a great dude, really going to help Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, and that is, like, the, the whole point of the Nuggets' existence right now is to turn those guys into studs, which they already are, but, like, keep them going in that direction. Um, Bobby. Definitely be able to help there. Nuggets are finally going to be back in the playoffs and he is going to make plays um, it's yeah it's, it was a great move absolutely great move by them
0: I appreciate you coming on this podcast so much and giving this insight to people who just haven't gotten a great grasp on his game and this is something that Denver Nuggets fans need to hear in my opinion so thank you again this was fantastic through and through uh, plug yourself again let everyone know where to follow you where to find you where to find your work what you do give everybody that one last time
1: uh, yes you can find me on Twitter it's Bobby Cruella it's K- um, I host the Numbers on the Boards podcast which is on iTunes and everywhere else on the internet. Uh, that's with my guy Ken Wade who is a uh, color analyst for the Mavs uh, and I do digital content for maps.com. so articles, videos, uh, audio stuff, a little bit of everything um, just all maps hoops all the time and I appreciate you having me on too it was, this, is a, this is a blast.
0: No I had a great time as well. I loved being a nerd with other hoop nerds. It's just one of my absolute favorite pastimes so this was as informative as it was fun For me, and I hope it works out that same way for everybody else. But at least for me, that's all I got. You got any closing thoughts?
1: No, that's it, man. Let's see what McBuckets can do in Dallas. About that, they got uh, they got the most legendary Iowa hoops basketball team reunited. Doug McDermott, Harrison Barnes those guys won back-to-back state titles. I cannot imagine how intimidating it must have been for your average Iowa farm kid to go up against those two in high school. It's <laughs>
0: terrifying. I could not I even... They do here. That would be absolutely terrifying for me, and I grew up playing basketball in LA. Like so that That's still terrifying. To me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you, you, you know what's up. Then. Oh, I've, I've taken my fair share of elbows and ran, ran into the post a few too many times. So, I know exactly what that feels like. But again, Bobby, just fantastic work over at Maps.com and all the digital content being a jack-of-all-trades and just again thank you so much for coming on
1: today
0: appreciate it man thank you thank you the Dutchess me, black noble, drew Wally. came of trees, we like the Genovese, sad So season ease, the is earth, 93 million miles from the first rough, turbulence, the wave burst, split the megahertz. Hey yo, that's amazing, gun in your mouth, So verbal foul hall connect, thoughts to make my man child walk, swift notarizer, blue tank, all up in the high riser, New York tank visor, word, tranquilizer, just a dosage, delegate my clan with explosives, wow, my pen lines ferocious mediterranean see y'all the number one pick. Tear down the beat off the delegate the guard the seagull the swift chancellor flex the white gold tarantula track truck diesel play the we substantial max mostly undivided then sliding, sickening guaranteed made him jump Great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S-Pen has arrived at Sprint, and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, Sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10, or call 800 Sprint1 today.
1: 1979 a month after 1980 monthly credit applied two bills with approved credit 18-month lease and new line of service have canceled Lily Remain Balance due. exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere third calculation fee restrictions apply.